Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Believe in UCLA football podcast. I am your co-host, James H. Williams, a reporter and editor for the Orange County Register and the Southern California News Group. And I'm here with my co-host, as always, Josh Woods, former UCLA linebacker, I believe fresh off of a win on the field. Uh, how you doing, Josh? What's going on, man? I mean, it was a weekend full of tight victories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a, a dove is a dove. I mean, we had we had a close one. It went uh, overtime. Okay. UCLA had a close one. Came down to the last second field goal. Yep. Um, by the end of the day, you get one in the win column, and that's all that matters. Right. And I, I think that's uh, I think that's the best place to start. And we'll get into all the fallout and everything that happened as a result. But a little, you know, closer than people would have thought, obviously. And we talked about it. I think I, I, I mentioned it. You know, UCLA was favored by 45, by 50 or so in their first two games. Right. It was only they were only favored by 14. And I guess some people still just weren't. I, I, part of me wonders if these who were complaining about it were UCLA fans. I mean, some people have a right to complain about things, but there were some people who I think were just mad they didn't cover or whatever for gambling purposes, whatever. It was a close game. Um, The game was won by Nicholas Barmira, who did kick the game winner there. Um, I had some stats on him somewhere. I believe he went four for four on his field goals. I believe he had... Uh, a career long, which I tweeted about, but don't have in front of me. And I thought I had all my notes in front of me, but he hit a career long, I think, in the first quarter. Um, 49. 49 was, I think, is his new career long. Um, I think him going four for four was also um, a career night for him. Um, but yeah, he got the most important one. I mean, they're all important when you just think about the score, but he got the one that counted and, and was most most needed there at the end in, in the final seconds. I, I believe, yeah, that was, is that the clock hit zero? They didn't have anything else after that, right? That was the final play. Um, so that game came down to the wire. And as you said, it was a win, but not a satisfying win for many. Um, we'll talk about some of the injuries and stuff here in a second. Um, DTR, Titus, and Chip Kelly talked to the media today. We'll talk about some of that stuff, but um what was your just reaction or or what did you kind of take away from what you saw from the game? Um, from this game, I was able to watch majority of it as it was before my game, watching mm-hmm. it uh, all the way up to, I watched all the way to the end. I was watching it in the locker room with a, with an Oregon state alum um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> as we were getting ready for our game. Right. As it came onto the wire. I mean, like I said, going into the game, South Alabama, I think is a good team. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, that was a, you know, walkover team. I think that was a, a good team where when they were naming out someone's old linemen, you had transfers from, I think it was like Mississippi State, transfers from Georgia, transfers mm-hmm. from, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where you had some power five bounce back old linemen. Um, I think the you, quarterback they, is they from, a, the quarterback's from somewhere, but he's also the son of Gus Bradley who was the Jaguars defensive coordinator or D- Jaguars head coach and a former defensive coordinator somewhere, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, and they had a the, uh, the running back, Damian Webb, looked like a legit back. Mm-hmm. Um, and their scheme, I mean, 
but I think we were just trying to see what UCLA needed that test. I think this was the test similar to a, you know, when we have a Fresno state type of game, you know, Mm -hmm. and that might not look nice and the fans might be upset because we didn't just walk over them and it was a close game came down to the end. But like I said, at the end of the day, um, a little adversity helps you grow through the season. It's like, if you, if you um, can learn how to finish games like that, it's going to help you down the road and like being in situations at the end of games where like, okay, we know how to bounce back from adversity. We know how to lock in and focus uh, when it's crunch time so we can do it again. But I mean, just looking at like watching from what I saw in the game and looking now at Mm -hmm. the actual like numbers, uh, there are some things that need to be addressed, especially with the defense. Um, I was saying that, uh, we were letting them get first downs, um, especially on those those third downs. They were converting third downs too often, which uh, weren't getting off the field. They were extending drives. Um, like I was saying before with uh, the running back, I mean, 16 carries for 124, averaging 7.8 a carry. Uh, that needs to be addressed. And... Um, Unfortunately, losing Martin Andrews for the season, prayers up to my boy. Um, the interior is going to need some major time help. I don't know, maybe even converting back any of those um, offensive linemen that, that used to play D-line before. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you see see guys maybe having to play both ways, but we're going to need to answer in the middle. Yeah, I think that that was something we kind of talked about a little bit before. Um, I was listening back to what Chip Kelly uh, said earlier today during his press conference, just talking with the media. And I think that was like the first question asked, like, what happened to Martin Andrews? And that was something when I saw it happen. I'm just like, man, not Martin. And and you see, I saw him go down. I'm not really sure what happened. I thought I saw him kind of grabbing his ankle or his lower leg. I believe it, you know, what he's been out. He's had the like, and you know, this is not the trend that you want, but it's like three years in a row. We've heard Martin's done for the season. Um, But the first two were knee injuries, right? I think one on each knee or was it the ACL? I guess it's it's upper, upper leg injuries, more or less. I feel like the way he was grabbing it and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to like speculate or say that I know something because I don't, I don't, you know, they're not going to tell us. Um, it looked like he was grabbing his ankle a little bit, but he was able to kind of walk a little bit with some assistance from what I remember looking at the broadcast. So I don't know, man, it just kind of sucks. Like Martin, Martin is always seemed like a good dude. And you just hear someone's story. And I remember being like pretty excited to write about him knowing that he had it. And he had that moment that I know he can lean on with that USC game being his first game back and what ended up being a big win for UCLA over USC, um, being a captain for that, being able to play in that game. Um, you know, I, I thought that was that was pretty neat and pretty special for him. And obviously he wanted to have a special season, I'm sure. Um, it was a part of the Westwood NIL club stuff. He was kind of leading some of that. And uh, things just didn't, didn't work out again for him this season. And it's uncertain if he'll be able to get another year or not. Um, it kind of remains to be seen, but... Like I said, prayers up for Martin. And and um, based on what Chip said, he said he talked to him yesterday. And he just sounds like 
I guess this is just Martin for you, but he was in good spirits and just like, you know, it's just going to kind of take it in stride. And, um, you know, he knows how the process goes by this point. So um, he'll fight back whether, whether he'll get another opportunity on the field. Again, it will depend on um, eligibility and whatnot for him, but um, and, and what ruling might be decided there. Um, I know you've kind of experienced something like that um, kind of going through some of that process. So, so we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens uh, with Martin. But yeah, anything else on Martin before we kind of get into the injury report for some of these other guys? I mean, it's just so unfortunate. Uh, it's a it's a great – I mean, he's a great guy, first of all, and then mm -hmm. it's a great player. Um, big loss for the team on the field and in the locker room. No doubt about it. And – We'll jump into some of the other guys, like just, uh, you know, I, I say injury report, but some of it's, you know, guys who are who are back or working through things. So uh, we'll start with Zach Charbonnet. Um, Chip Kelly didn't fully say, he didn't say much about Charbonnet other than like kind of when he was asked, he kind of said that like he's a warrior or something like that. So there's kind of like he he's kind of, he's not 100%, it sounds like. Is my was my takeaway from what Chip said is he's not necessarily 100 percent. Um, he did seem kind of limited in some regard. And even in the fourth quarter, I was like keeping a close eye to see, like, is he even still in the game or and then like like they were leading with Keegan a little bit. And then I, I think when they got close to like a goal line situation, <clears throat> then I saw Charbonnet again. That might actually have been right before there was the fumble um, on the handoff from Zach to DTR. Um, but otherwise, it sounds like Zach's pretty much he's OK. Maybe they're just uh, extra precaution with him or just kind of waiting out some of uh, of what's going on with him. But I, he's just not 100 percent. I, I don't think he's like. Down bad, but I think he's just not 100 percent. So they, they just want to um, try to prolong, you know, any other serious in, any potential serious injuries or whatever as much as possible. So. Um, that's just kind of laced on Charbonnet real quick. Uh, DTR did talk to the media and he was kind of asked about that, the fumble, the handoff there. Um, I'll just kind of read some of the notes, shorthand notes I took on which, uh, what DTR said there. And then we'll get into some more injuries. Um, but DTR said, yeah, he just said there's a little miscommunication on both of the fumbles uh, with DTR, with, but one with Zach and one with Keegan Jones. Um, he said the first one with Zach, Zach wanted to run it because they were so close to the goal line. Zach was just kind of like, give me the ball and just let me run with it kind of deal. Um, where DTR said he was still kind of going through his reads. And I think he said his read was to um, was to pull it and I guess maybe explore some options as far as passing it, but um, or running with it himself, I guess. I'm not sure. He didn't really go into too much detail. Obviously, he doesn't want to you know, give any sort of plays or indications away, but it was just a miscommunication there with the ball where I think Zach just wanted to take the ball, but DTR was, you know, wanted to kind of go through the, the progression there. So um, as, as someone who's played defense, Josh, what do you, is that something you can kind of pick up on or you notice, or is that just kind of what happens on their end? And if you see a ball loose, you're just diving for it when it comes to stuff like that. I mean, I think, with DTR and Charbonnet, that's one of the most dangerous one-two punches in the red zone, mm -hmm. especially when it comes down to zone read, because um, both of them are major threats. I mean, we've seen throughout Dorian's career hit him pull those usually in mm -hmm. 
get in the end zone. Um, but again, it's like you have a Zach Charbonnet too, where it's like, yeah, this is <laughs> it's almost close to an automatic touchdown. Yeah. So it's like you're dueling with both of them. Um, and but a, a miscue like that is rare, and I know that that like it's yeah. not going to be a common yeah. thing between them. And it, it, like on defense, it's not a common thing to see either. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fixed. I mean. Yeah, that that won't become the new norm anytime soon, obviously, with those guys. And I don't think it was necessarily maybe even an ego thing. I just think, um, I mean, you almost it, like you said, it's an automatic view that Charbonnet is going to get the job done. They were like what, one or two yards away from the end zone. Like, yeah, it's it just like right there. It just sticks out the way that it does is because one, they didn't get the touchdown, but two. Charbonnet fumbles and Charbonnet doesn't really fumble. Charbonnet, Charbonnet doesn't really lose yards. I think he only lost again one yard um, throughout the entire game. Um, I, I think so. Again, he, he doesn't rarely fumble. He rarely loses yards from what I remember looking at last season. But just again in the box score, this for this game, I think he only lost one yard, but he only had 76 yards. I think the thing last year I picked up on was anytime Charbonnet's over 100 yards, it was almost a dub. Like if, if they win, Charbonnet had a hundred yards. There might've been a game where he didn't get over a hundred yards. I think he had like 89 yards and they still won. And usually it's been teams that can limit Charbonnet that have kind of played in the favor of other teams winning against UCLA. Um, I think what Chip said may factor into it. Like if Zach mm-hmm. is dealing with something because Keegan Jones had one more carry than him yeah. and they're pretty, pretty even in the backfield. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Normally, probably he would have had over 100 yards this game. I mean, he averaged six yards per carry. Yeah. Say he gets, yeah, about five or six more of those carries. There you go. There's your 100 yards. Mm-hmm. So, and he's normally going to be the one who, you know, if anything, it's going to be like a 60 40 split. I mean, he's going to, he's your workhorse. That's the guy who's going to get most of the carries. But I think, kind of like what was being indicated there, I think. They're just kind of limiting his carries a little bit. They don't want to overdo it with him too much. Um, and again, but yeah, when you're in those closer goal line situations, you want to maximize your your potential to score there when you have Charbonnet available to you. Um, anything else on that before we... Oh, um, yeah, anything else on Charbonnet and stuff before I get to Keegan real quick and what happened there? No, I mean, I think that's pretty much it from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, like when it comes to Charbonnet, like he doesn't really lose yards because it's rarely ever does one person take him down. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's usually he he's making that first guy miss and then mm-hmm. it's on two, three to, to get him down. Even in I mean in the in the past game as well. Um yeah, no, no doubt about it. There's no such thing as, as lost yardage for the most part when it comes to Charbonnet. Um there's one with DTR. Um he said he said on the fumble with Keegan, his, uh, his read was 50-50. Uh, you maybe you can explain some of this to me, but he said DTR said his read was 50 50 to pull it or to throw it to Keegan. Um, but he said maybe based on what Keegan saw in terms of Dorian's read, he uh, Keegan might just not have thought the ball was coming to him. So he wasn't really looking back to look for it. Um, I don't know. Could you make it sense of, of some of that of DTR trying to go through reads and saying it being 50 50 on him pulling it or throwing it? Um, I guess pulling it, meaning him running with the ball, but I don't know. Do you, do you make anything of that or. I mean, maybe the, both their perspectives, they both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it differently. That's all I could think of. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to RPO situation like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, uh, again, just miscommunication. And again, um, 
you fans may not want to hear this, but at the same time, if if you're a fan, at least I would think you would rather have some of these mistakes happen in these non-conference games where they don't necessarily impact Pac-12 play. And you can kind of work through some of these yes. kinks, put them on film and 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 recognize now in week three that, hey, uh, when we get to Washington, Oregon, Utah and USC, all four teams that I'll mention here in a minute again. Uh, um, but you don't want to be having that miscommunication and that costly uh, kind of turnover when 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 you're impactful play so put that stuff on film now not that you necessarily ever want to have it on film but have it on film now um, evaluate allow for that conversation and communication to happen now so there can be a, be a better job for both keegan dtr or whoever else is in those situations to um, know what to do or or how to handle those situations better again chip kelly talks about it all the time um the turn uh, the turnover battle and you want to you know you want to be on the on the better end of the turnover battle compared to your opponent, um, you know, the least amount of turnovers in the game between both teams, then the better. So um, I think, again, the Bruins were um, able to kind of make the most of, of the win, even with the turnovers that they did have. I don't have the uh, box score in front of me. I think maybe you do, but did, uh, did they have turnovers um, South Alabama? Was, I know they had two that got like called back. It was even. Oh, it was, it was even. Uh, the the um, turnover battle was even. They had okay. one lost fumble and one interception. That's right. Uh, Keegan, I mean, uh, Kirkwood had a fumble recovery, um, but his knee was down after he picked up the ball. But he ran it all the way into the end zone, but the review called it back. So they did get the fumble, but they didn't get the touchdown. I'm trying to think who had the other interception. Was that uh, Darius, maybe? Um I'm blanking on that one at the moment, but yeah. Okay. So even split for the turnover battle it there. Was, oh, no, it was uh John, John Vaughn's on a, that's right. Screenplay. That's right. John, John had the interception. I think it was fairly early. And I remember they panned the camera or, or after the fact, when they were replaying it, they panned the camera over to Ken Norton jr. And he had the biggest smile on his face. I remember seeing that during the broadcast. So um, yeah, that, re that reminded me. Yeah. Um, seeing Ken Norton smile like that, seeing one of his linebackers, um, get a turnover in that fashion. But yeah, going back to the uh going back to the injury report here. It looks like Gary Smith um will practice today. I think he got banged up a little bit. Um I think I remember seeing that during the game, but he should be I think Chip Kelly said he was going to try and practice. Um so we'll keep an eye on him. TJ Harden uh, who scored his first touchdown in the week prior against Alabama State, didn't dress out for this game. I'm not entirely sure what happened there. Um, but Chip Kelly said he's fine and at practice, going to be was going to practice on Monday. So not entirely sure what the situation was there. But, um, yeah, they'll, they'll get him back and practicing throughout this week. Michael Zike did play, um, but I just don't think we saw the tight ends getting involved with the the offense as much as they maybe would have liked to, just in terms of maybe production um, in the passing game. I don't really remember Hudson doing I mean, the, the Yeah, I mean, the pass game was pretty spread out. I don't think it anybody, was spread out. Yeah. Jake Bobo, finally, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's had his best game, but even, I mean, five catches for 89 yards and a touchdown, uh, a pretty quiet night for or day for mm -hmm. um, Kazmir Allen uh cam brown pretty quiet but just to get cam brown just get cam brown back uh i think yeah just having him back on the field is, is good, just good yeah, because missed first two games mm -hmm. 
Um, who else? Who else scored touchdowns? Because I think there's like two or three guys who scored their first touchdowns. Was that Titus Logan? Yeah, and so Logan Loya. Logan Loya and Cam Brown were the three. Okay. Touchdown recipients. Um, yeah, then okay. Hudson one catch five. I mean, the offense looked. I don't want to say they looked um, reserved, but mm-hmm. I think maybe going into the game, it wasn't like we need to do all these different, you know, different types of plays. Isn't that? I think it was like we if we just execute this right here, we'll get this win, um, and you know, not put too much on display going into Pac-12 play mm-hmm. as far as you know how deep you're going into your your uh, your your vault of plays would you would you say we kind of talk i feel like we kind of maybe talked about this last week but now that we've kind of seen it happen where and again this is it does i guess it doesn't matter whose fault it is whatever the schedule was what it was but because you had the blowout games the way that you did where you had other people playing and we didn't see that full first team get extensive like peer uh reps together the way that maybe they should have do you think is that some of what we saw like it was this was the first game where they it was like their first game together right from beginning to end for the most part yeah, i mean full, you sub guys in and stuff it's the first full four quarter game a lot mm-hmm. of that kept uh chemistry and timing mm-hmm. um i think even like it was a lot of short quick game intermediate throws slants mm-hmm. ends uh you know small screen game i i think yeah like we weren't it wasn't all the home run plays or the yeah all the deep threat you know which i know they have those you know in the play calling sheet mm-hmm. it just like i said maybe for this game it was let's be more conservative um with our repertoire and save things for later which in some cases can backfire on you but we got this dub so it's not really worrying about it and so like Doran was pretty efficient i mean i've seen i think they posted his quarterback rating was like 170 mm. something which is really well yeah yeah I, and dtr also kind of mentioned um you know just the depth that received he was asked about like the depth that receiver and mul- got multiple guys getting touchdowns or whatnot and he said something along the lines of that the D- of the receiver room is hungry and they all know that at any given play or any given moment on any given play, um, there's an opportunity for them to kind of get the ball. And, and that's what's good about this group and the experience that he has. And then DTR says, he continues to say that I think in previous seasons, guys weren't running the routes as hard as they were because they knew they weren't getting the ball. Um, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. I uh, I don't want to say I agree with him because I don't know that for sh- Like, I can't say. You know, I'm I'm not gonna sit here and watch every play and say Chase Coda not running routes there. But and I, he didn't mention Chase Coda. I'm just using Chase Coda as an example. Obviously, Chase Coda's at Oregon now, transferred out. Um, but but again, there sure was a whole lot of balls getting thrown to Kyle and and Greg. So I don't know. I'm just saying. I I mean, again, I I'm not saying I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Chase or anybody else wasn't running routes. But I'm just like. I don't know. I mean, who? Else? I mean, only two guys really got the ball, so it, it it's tough when you got like that that type of talent. But I mean, yeah. majority offense will have a. I'm like, I like to call it a hot boy. The hot boy mm-hmm. is the the one that's you're mm-hmm. getting the ball to, kind of feeding them. Often yeah. have a lot of play calls set up for them, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, I want the ball in 
I would yeah. love to see the ball in Kyle Phillips' hands in the slide mm-hmm. space, or if I can get Greg isolated on a right. on a smaller safety or or a slower linebacker. Of course, I'm gonna you know um, attack that. But it's like looking at I mean, it's looking at the depth and like the mm-hmm. the range of you know different type of playmakers they have. I don't know who's gonna be the one to step up and like when it comes to those. Um, you know, when it comes to Pac-12 play and you really you need to catch who's going to be the guy. It's like, OK, you know, we're, mm-hmm. I'm going to am I going to go to go to Bobo? Am I going to go to Kaz? Um, especially I don't think they, they haven't used. I think before a lot of times we'd isolate the tight ends one on one with a DB on the in the in the red zone. I mm-hmm. mean, we've seen it with Caleb Wilson, uh, Devin Asiasi, um, with Greg. So mm-hmm. is that is that going to go to a tight end or is it going to go to Jake Bobo in, in the red zone? Certain things that we haven't needed to do yet because it hasn't, you know, it hasn't come about. Like I said, with two blowouts, you're not really going to be in those type of situations in the last game. Um, I, I would I would say again, so it's like not a knock on Chase, uh, whoever, whoever other receivers were there i just i just remember chase because he was the other starting receiver but um i think that's the thing with this group is there is no hot boy right there's it it's a it's like a clean slate like everyone's new it, it could be titus it could be cam it could be um bobo it could it could be micah zk it could be Hutz. like you don't know and everyone's kind of on a clean slate um for dtr because like his top two top three targets including chase coda aren't there anymore right so it's like he has to establish a relationship with one of them or all of them i think i think it would be beneficial if you get multiple guys involved the way that he did because then it's not as predictable i think i mean i mean you kind of know the ball is going to greg or kyle phillips but they still made plays um yeah but it's kind of like if you spread it around like for me my biggest thing is always like why doesn't Chase Cota get the ball much more than he that like there's no reason why he maybe shouldn't be getting the ball more because you would think everything everyone is everyone's kind of directing their attention to Greg and Kyle. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. I just feel like there was a, other guys or, or the way they would, you know, they were using Charbonnet. They were using Brenton Brown out of the backfield. They used uh, Dimitri Felton out of the backfield when he was there. Um, I don't know. I just felt like maybe they could have used more with guys like Coda and whatnot while they were there, but um, it is what it is. That's just kind of what DTR said. I don't think he was necessarily throwing anyone under the bus. I think it's kind of, it's, it's, that's the thing, Josh, and you could tell me if I'm wrong about that. That's the thing that sucks about talking to the media sometimes, right? Is because you say things and sometimes you're just trying to put over your guys. Like, you know, the guys we have this year are great. You know, maybe it, it could just, he's just saying in previous season he may not even be talking about it at ucla he might just be talking about at bishop gorman like oh guys were running around you know what i mean so it's it's after practice he may not have even been thinking about what you guys are asking he could be thinking about a Mm -hmm. read in practice or you know something else going on yeah but it's that's how the media works though it's Mm -hmm. it's annoying as a player but as now i'm kind of on this side of the media a little bit like you know i'm still player but on this side of the media and it's like where can I, where can I go with what he just said? You know? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's hard. It's hard. At the end of the day, um, I think somebody's going to have to kind of uh, stand out as being the trusted and reliable, mm-hmm. you know, guy for Dorian to get the ball to. And I think to that point, 
uh, Titus, uh, again, also spoke to the media today. And I think one thing that he said that stood out to me was like, um, you know, he, he said him and Dorian, they go to each other's houses and um, they'll go over film or go over routes together and different things like that. And he said, um, you know, it was good to kind of get involved in this game and get some catches compared to, I, I mean, he was involved in the other ones, but I think production wise, getting some more catches and targets his way. Um, I noticed his name uh, stand out quite a bit um, throughout some of, of the offensive plays and stuff, just kind of the ball going his way and whatnot. But um, yeah, Titus said, you know, uh, Bobo and DTR have been able to work on some chemistry throughout the off season, obviously um, Kaz and Cam being there last year and in years prior in the case of Kaz Allen. Um, so, you know, Titus just said, you know, he's just trying to be involved and, and help uh, build his chemistry up with DTR as much as possible too. So I think that was good to hear. And, um, just something else that DTR said was just like that I think kind of plays with with what Titus was kind of saying and them going over routes and different things was DTR also said that um, this group of receivers makes it really easy for him and uh, they just know how to play football because of the experience they have like Titus at UCF, uh, Bobo at Duke, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that they know kind of what Chip Kelly wants and how they're going, how the offense is is kind of asked to attack routes and coverages um that defenses are presenting um yeah so just anything on that in terms of just receivers and chemistry or or is there anything that you remember from your ucla days in, in terms of um the quarterbacks and receivers maybe trying to build chemistry in different ways i mean i think that's built like all off season and even mm -hmm. during the season i think i remember even before i mean i got there but seeing a lot of things of like brett hunley and um jordan payton being close like that and um it showed up on the field as as far as like I feel like when you are building that relationship on and off the field that player becomes almost like a security blanket because when a quarterback trusts a receiver on that type of level he knows when in doubt I can get it to this guy and he's gonna make this catch he's gonna find a way to get open he's gonna be there for me um and vice versa with the receiver having the faith in Dorian and being like I know if I can get to the spot, Doran's going to put the ball right here, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I think somebody eventually is going to step up and kind of separate from the pack, but having all these weapons isn't the issue. It's just everybody just needs to be on the same page, have the protection. So Doran can look through his progressions and make things happen. No doubt about it. Um, I think that's kind of all I have on that. I guess tempo was another thing and that made Dorian smile. I think there were some points in the game where, they recognized they needed to get into into more tempo. And I think Dorian was all for that. And it worked. It worked out nicely for them. And um, but Chip Kelly said, you know, it's not it wasn't necessarily the plan one way or another to um, run the offense a certain way. I think it's just a matter of you do your homework throughout the week, see what's on film in terms of, of what South Alabama may present. But at the same time, he said that there were some things that were different that South Alabama presented when you finally get on the field with that team, right? Um, you can only study what you can, what you see on film, but there's always going to be different looks and different, you know, the way you present different things. I, he singled out one number. I don't remember what, who it was in particular, but he said maybe he was someone who was down on the defensive line and now maybe moving a little bit more freely in the defense at, at one point. And he said, at the end of the day, it kind of doesn't matter. There's still only, you could still only have 11 guys on the field. So there's only so many spots that each of the 11 guys can be in at any given time. Right. So he, you know, he wasn't trying to make too many excuses of it, but you know, I think he recognizes that and is willing to make those adjustments 
to to do what's best for the team to help move them forward and and get the ball um, moving in the right direction offensively. So um, again, there's some adjustments to be made and and Chip's calling plays again um, this year, or at least he's his own offensive coordinator this year. So there's just a lot of things that need to be sorted out and they've had the non-conference games to sort those things out. Again, they have Colorado uh, for another afternoon brunch kind of game. Um, so yeah, it, it was just kind of, kind of interesting in that regard. Um, Josh, while I have you here, something else that was interesting and that was asked of Dorian. Um, I think it was Ben Bolt who asked um, about Colorado. And if this is a desperate team and, um, and, and like, you know, just their whole situation going on, Carl Jarrell, former UCLA player and coach um, is, as you know, him and the Buffaloes are going to be hosting UCLA for their first road game um, in Colorado. And Dorian said, you know, hey, you know, he says he recognizes and knows how that Buffalo team feels right now, right? They've had, um, and these were teams you were a part of where you guys maybe didn't have as fast of a start early on in those seasons. Um, I think Dorian said maybe in his freshman and sophomore year, um, you know, maybe you don't get off to the fast start that you want to, and you, you're playing hungry, you're playing to to try and prove something to to your school, to your, your fan base. Um, is there, what was the mindset of, for you guys during that point um, early on when Chip was kind of, um, you know, Chip comes on, there's that whole transition, you know, guys are leaving the program. How do you, how do you kind of get through this, this um, early hurdle where things maybe aren't going your way and try to proceed forward knowing you have a whole lot of season left? Um, you got to attack every week and just focus on winning this week. I mean, you can't control the games past, can't control the preseason previous week. All you can control is how you're going to attack this game. So I think what even what Dorian's referring to, I think it was our his sophomore year, my last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we were 0-3 going into Pac-12 play, and I think it was the Washington State game, getting our first win yeah. in the fashion that we did mm-hmm. where you can't – and like, like we say all the time, it, it's Pac-12. Anything can happen. Pac-12 after dark, Pac-12 yep. anytime. Mm-hmm. When Pac-12 teams, we start playing each other, it seems like there's always games where it's like anybody can win. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, week in and week out. So you can't take this Colorado team lightly, whether they're 0-3 or 3-0. and um, The goal is for the Bruins to be 4-0. So, again, it's another week they can't take lightly. They need to handle business, learn from the mistakes in the South Alabama game, make the adjustments need be um, and handle business starting the Pac-12 play. And I think that's some of what Chip Kelly said too, when he was kind of asked something similar to that earlier on Monday. Um, But he just said, Hey, you know, it's, you know, he's aware of the situation and kind of what's going on. um, You know, just in, just in terms of, of what's going on with Colorado and stuff. But at the same time, he said, that doesn't mean you feel bad for him or you take him any like uh, any any like you know you don't take them lightly or anything like that and so and you just say hey we just look at the film we see what they do what their personnel is what they present what they put on the field um and do it for that you know he says you know we're thankful that the film that is used amongst teams is not like the broadcast where you know you get commentary or there's um you can see or or, or read more emotion and stuff like that right it's just you just see it for what it is for what schemes they present and things like that and you know obviously that's the focus for them right he said you know we're not going to take it lightly because there's you know it's not like they're trying to hand them a win or anything so um you I know mean, I, I mean you you might watch the film tv copies for some things 
did did you did i'm now i'm just curious now did you did you guys ever do that like just maybe because it provides a different perspective because are you guys looking at the, like the all what is it 22 or whatever it's called are you looking at that kind of film normally or um i mean uh, i think they use xos but yeah sometimes you will look at the tv copy for for tendencies things like mm. snap counts and gotcha. certain things where like you might want to watch it live and hear it gotcha um, gotcha gotcha and at the time you might catch some some insight that the media is, is talking about during the game gotcha um I think that, you know, it, that's a good point. And again, even, even when you were stuck in, in your probation period there during that targeting, um, you were kind of looking at that kind of broadcast then too. So maybe, maybe you're able to pick up on something. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying I was, too. I was seeing, I was seeing things from a, from a, I was seeing things from a T perspective in there of like, mm -hmm. you can't even be on the sideline. It's not like you're getting the bird's eye view. I was getting some Correct. bird's eye view of mm -hmm. how things were happening. And at the time, Memphis was running a bunch of running back screens and and stuff like that. So when I got in, that's what I was keyed in and into. And they had to start running different plays. But it's like I may not have been able to see that type of stuff if I wasn't sitting out. Gotcha. And uh, we know someone similar who went through that process just recently uh, with Kenny Churchwell. Yeah, having to sit up for the first half, but did come back in the second half. I just want to give out to um, to two people real quick who gave us some feedback and reached out to me and let me know that they listened to the podcast. One of them is David, and then the other one is Denise. Both of them said they listened to the podcast and enjoy what we do. Um, so just wanted to give them a special shout out and tell them thank you. One of them um, appreciated uh, Josh's perspective on on him having to kind of sit through his targeting period there. And, and again, much like uh, Churchwell had to this past Saturday. Um, so I just thought that was, that was kind of cool to hear. And again, that's the kind of perspective that you get um, from this podcast in particular, when it comes to UCLA football is um, you get Josh's insight. And even on things that you don't, you know, I kind of don't really remember Josh having to sit up for targeting, but when that stuff kind of comes up, we can kind of talk through some of that stuff and maybe uh, relate it to how how Kenny would would have been feeling and how he did feel uh, while he had to sit some of that period out. Um, I think no one, yeah, no one was really called for targeting, so there was nothing like that in this game. Um, and overall, I think the team's going to be going in healthy to this Colorado game. Uh, we'll be talking more about that later on um, this week in a future podcast episode. Josh, I do want to talk to you about the attendance and the fan base and all that good stuff. Um, and we've kind of talked a little bit about some of these things and stuff like that. And Chip was asked about it when he was asked about Troy Aikman's tweet. And uh, obviously uh, Chip Kelly's not on Twitter. Um, so he said he was not made aware of Troy Aikman's tweet. Um, let me see if I can pull that up here real quick. But uh, Troy Aikman, obviously was watching the game or at least heard about the game and he kind of called out i don't know if he necessarily called out ucla but i mean he kind of did but he also was able to relate to it in a way um so i'm pulling up the tweet now and i'll just read it here so this was from troy aikman uh you know quarterback for the da former uh, dallas quarterback uh dallas yeah dallas cowboys quarterback and whatnot um, played at UCLA for two years after transferring from Oklahoma. Just kind of read what he said after the game against South Alabama. He said, uh, this is an embarrassment, but we couldn't fill the Rose Bowl in 1988. 
when we were the number one team in the country. Anyone else at UCLA think it's time for an on-campus 30,000-seat stadium? Of course, if we can't play better than we did today, it would be half empty too. So <laughs> Troy uh, had some words to say there, but Josh, as an alum, what are your thoughts on, you know, and again, we kind of talked about this before, but it's a, again, there. I guess, you know, it's like, it sounds easy just to have, just, why don't you just put a stadium on campus? Why don't you put it where Drake is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I, I think some people would, you know, maybe you'd want it more than the 30,000 that um, Troy's mentioning there, but just what are your thoughts as someone who's been a part of the program, uh, someone who who understands kind of what's going on and what this fan base uh, can be like in, in times just in terms of showing up and whatnot. What what and someone like we mentioned where you said during the Jim Mora time uh, days when even when you're being recruited, um, there were a lot of fans in the stands and stuff at times. Um, what is your just kind of thoughts perspective on again just the attendance, uh, the possible the possibility or, or the wishful thinking of having a stadium on campus someday? I'm kind of on the fence. I mean, I see both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's people have been asking me about this attendance. I feel like it's every week. Some people even on my team that don't even aren't even Pac-12 guys, but mm-hmm. why is you nobody want to go to UCLA games? And it's like so many things kind of factor into it to me. It's the the weather, it's traveling to Pasadena, mm-hmm. it's the opponents, it's you know, it's it's a lot of things. And I don't I don't think there is enough space or money for UCLA to put a a stadium on campus it's like where would it go and where would the parking be it's like you there's 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 not that much you know land like you'd have to tear stuff down to build it and yeah it would be a whole process with that at having that though Mm -hmm. but it's like even our spring games don't sell out which is you know a lot less yeah seats i guess in the half half side of uh drake Mm -hmm. but you might get more students staying That's there what I was thinking. the whole game yeah. i mean that would that would definitely draw a bigger crowd of students fans though it's like i don't know i feel like a lot of our fans come from the ie or they come from all over so it's not like our fans are just in westwood like westwood is majority just students there's not many you know there's neighborhoods around but it's like all our fans aren't coming from bel-air all our fans aren't coming from brentwood all our fans aren't coming from beverly hills um you know so i don't know if putting a stadium on campus would boost attendance yeah but i mean yeah that would just be a big investment it would be and supposedly you know i I, so i got i put out a twitter poll um and it just simply says should ucla build build a football stadium on campus um as of right now at you know i posted last night so it's only been up for about 12 hours or so um 13 hours, sorry. Um, 422 people have voted. 66% 66% say yes, they should build a camp a stadium on campus. For 33 say no. Um, the other, the other, I guess, thing with this is I guess supposedly they can't build a stadium just because I guess Bel Air or whoever. Um, I guess there's some things politically or, or whatever the case may be where they just won't allow it to happen, which kind of doesn't make sense. And I, someone even threw out there like, they probably wouldn't even be able to build a Jackie Robinson stadium uh, for baseball today. Um, the way like it's the, they have it now, but if they were deciding to do that today, like it probably wouldn't fly. Like they just wouldn't even do it, I guess. So times have changed. And 
there's like a, an, an agreement, I guess. I don't know when the extension was made, but I think UCLA is like signed up to, to play in the Rose Bowl to like 2040 or something like that. So it's a, it's a pretty well, long well, commitment. That's a, yeah. No, that's not kind of, so. <laughs> so that kind of puts in. Yeah. No, they're literally, they're locked in. Um, a lot of people have kind of had reaction and it was just like all over my timeline. So it was worth bringing up. I just think, again, one of the biggest things for me is there are fans. Some of the fans who say, why, why you know, this is disappointing and, and why, you know, we should do better are the same ones who don't go. Like, preach. I, I really just want, like, I, there's been so many times where the people who have said that, and part of me is like, I ask a question on Twitter, they respond to it, and I'm like, I'm not setting them up to argue with them, but at the same time, I'm just want to be like, okay, did you go to the game? Like, I almost want to say, okay, did you go to the game? And then, what are they, like, more often than not, I feel like they're going to tell me no. And then I'm like, okay, why didn't you go to the game? And a lot of, some of them say, hey, they're out of state. Um, some of them were season ticket holders, but now they live out of state or different situations. Some of them don't want to come from the IE, um, you See, know, it's, whatever the case may be. There's a bunch of different I'm wondering, things. Are we the only school in the nation where our stadium is 30 plus minutes away from campus? Um, Probably not. I mean, that'd be something I should look into um yeah i, I, I want to know what other schools have to deal with what we deal with yeah and la traffic exactly and la traffic is part of it um chip was asked about the fan attendance and, and whatnot again and i kind of thought <laughs> i thought he was gonna kind of dismiss it it you know be a little stubborn about it but he was he was a little he was a little open about it so so what he said is sometimes it just comes down to the recognition the name recognition of the opponent um, not necessarily who they are or what they are talent-wise, because he said South Alabama is, is one of the better teams talent-wise, you know, or just competitively that they faced um, in the last, like, year or so. Um, so he wasn't knocking South Alabama, but it's just, hey, like, you can ask any Californian more or less, and it's like, are they really going to know, or is South Alabama going to make them jump out of their seat and, you know, get in the car and go down to the Rose Bowl? Probably not. So, you know, he was he kind of gave that perspective and he said that he's been on the other side of that, too, when he was a coach at New Hampshire. Um, it, it's New Hampshire. So when you he said you'll go and you'll play against Northwestern and there will be 25,000, 30,000 and New Hampshire would get excited about it because that's the biggest stadium, biggest crowd they've played in. But on the other side, you know, Northwestern is just kind of like, you know, it's kind of a low number for us. What are we doing here? So it's just all about perspective and understanding. Um, he also he came with he came with some with some facts. I haven't back checked, but I don't think he'd be lying about some of these. Um, so I'll take his word for it. I'll look back at him after. Um, but so Chip threw out some numbers, um, and so he said uh, for the Stanford game against Colgate earlier this season, he said Stanford had twenty six thousand fans. He said for the Cal game against Cal Davis, um, or UC Davis, sorry. He said they had 30,000. So again, um, UCLA had 29, I think 29 for this game, something like that. Um, so again, a low number and, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it sucks, but everyone, every other place has um, low numbers too. I saw an article from CBS um, and Dennis Dodd, I believe he's with CBS and the article 
uh, was from February of 2022. So it was being written about last season at the end of last season. And it was saying that attendance numbers just in college football are down, even for some of the bigger programs. And I think he said like the average in the Pac-12 might have been like 40,000 and was down um, just as a whole was down quite a bit. Um, So again, it's just when you see these shots of the Rose Bowl and and some of them are just unfortunate, right? Because you're, it's a goal line. You're they're on the goal line, and and they're trying to zoom in on Dorian and and just kind of reading him as from the perspective of like the defense more or less. But then all you see behind Dorian is just empty end zone for the Rose Bowl. So again, it's that TV perspective that you see on TV or the wide shots or the fact that some of the crowd shots they have to kind of zoom in on on some of the student section. But even then, you can kind of see some empty seats behind them. It's a little unfortunate, um, but the student section was a little bit bigger this week and students did kind of were moving in, getting settled in. So I think, again, we'll see um, a bigger turnout when they play Washington. Um, I believe that's their next home game um, is Washington. And um, yeah, but just any kind of final thoughts or messages for message for the fans about just trying to show up and supporting this program. I think I was wondering maybe like this, the effects of COVID factoring into it. Um, and also is the tennis going down, but the um, TV audience going up, that might be a thing of people are streaming games now instead of going. But my thing is like, as a UCLA fan, mm-hmm. I think the best way that you can, you know, of course go to the game, but like yeah. try to bring people, you know, mm-hmm. and get get people to come with you to these games, get kids involved. I mean, if you say football, you say, yeah, like do more things in the community to get more kids wanting to go to games. So then yeah. the kids dragging their parents to these games, certain things like that. But I mean, I hope when it's, you know, when they're playing UW, when they're, you know, when they're playing these other top Pac-12 teams, you know, we can start getting the ball pretty full again. Because I, I mean, I remember when I first got there, it seemed like, the stadium was was rocking and pretty full majority of our games. I think one of the loudest home games I ever played in was against BYU at home. Mm-hmm. And I remember the Rose Bowl rocking so hard you could just feel it. Yeah. I, even even for a team like BYU, they definitely show out and they travel well. Um, but that leads into my next point. Um, you, you said a few interesting things there. Um, one of them is again. So if you look at the schedule coming up, they have Colorado on the road, but then they have home games with Washington and Utah, uh, on the road for Oregon, but then you have Stanford at home. You have Arizona state on the road. You have Arizona USC on the road, and then you finish on the road with Cal. Uh, one, two, three of those games as we're, as of right now, the end of week three. Uh, going into week four with the AP poll, four Pac-12 teams are ranked in the top 25. UCLA will have to play all four of those teams. Um, as I mentioned, um, the first being Washington, who's like 25 or 24, I think, or something like that. Then you have Oregon in there who worked their way back. Well, you did what, 18? Oh, are they 18? Oh, see, they yeah, no? they beat... They beat Michigan State, who was number 11. So they might have jumped up that high. Is, do you have it open there? I'm just looking at the schedule. Let's see. Oh, okay. You have at 18. Yeah. Uh, then the next game, Utah at 13. Then the next game, Oregon at 15. So mm-hmm. those three 
back to back to back. That's a stretch. It was already, it was like, it was already a stretch. And I know I've mentioned it before as like, Ooh, that errors, uh, that Utah, Oregon stretch there will determine a lot, you know, and obviously those are ranked teams, but now you have Washington in the mix. Michael Penix Jr. is doing pretty good at quarterback for them. Transferred in from Auburn, I think. No, not Auburn. Um, I'm blanking where he's from. But anyways, he transfers in um, and is doing great things. They beat Michigan State. And yeah, so they jump in the top 25 kind of out of nowhere. That sets up nicely. And again, you can't overlook Colorado, but now you, you have a chance. If you're UCLA, and I tweeted it out, you have a path into the top 25 you have a path to the pac 12 championship you have a path to make a name for yourself um and do what you want with it so again you uh washington and, and who knows washington maybe loses next week and they're unranked but for what it's worth right now four teams on the schedule are ranked teams for the bruins and there will be some tough tests ahead um also with that you mentioned that obviously fans should come to the games but maybe some are watching on tv um, some people haven't been able to watch because the games have been on the Pac-12 network. But and, and with that said, to your point about like the numbers and whether they're up or down, I don't think the Pac-12 puts out their numbers. And I think part of that's because they don't really want anyone to know what the real numbers are for them. Um, and I think they don't have to because it's uh, not a public state. I don't I don't entirely know the whole TV business number side, but viewership um, wise, how all that stuff works. But I know they don't really have to put out their information, so they don't. But they um the colorado game is on the pac-12 network um but i also heard uh, when i was listening to pac-12 radio on sirius xm they were saying i guess the rule is depending on how i think we, i don't know if i mentioned this last week but the number of home conference non-conference games you have on the schedule which ucla had three you had to play at least that many on the pac-12 network so they've played the three at least now the colorado game's on there because it's colorado um, but again, when you have some of these teams that are ranked coming up, I think you're going to have at least most of those games off of the Pac-12 network and fans will be able to see that. Um, so I think the, the viewership number will, will get a better idea of how many people are watching these games, but um, they should be pretty good um, size in, in terms of viewership. But also, I think it should help boost up the attendance a little bit when you get some of the and I think that's kind of what Chip Kelly said, too. He's expecting is, is the attendance to be a little bit better once we get into Pac-12 play here. Looking at it, though, it's crazy because that UW game is actually on a Friday. Oh, so, yeah. of course, it's some, it's, it's a, another thing is like, dang, this might factor into it. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully you know, it doesn't. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't. But then you're, you know, having a Friday game conflicts with all high school games. It does. But also. So not, you might not get the, all those recruits unless you have a bye week. You might not get all those recruits, all their families. If yeah. a family has to go to a high school kids game, mm -hmm. you know That's what I'm true. saying? So it potentially could miss out on a lot of fans that day. True. But at the same time, too, I think the benefit is um, I think all Friday games and they've already put those games out because the Cal game at the end of the season is also on a Friday. And normally we have to wait week to week to see what, what the kickoff time is going to be and when these games will air. We already know what channel those games will be on. So color, uh, the Washington game is going to be on ESPN. The Cal game at the end of the season is going to be on Fox. Um, so even if ideally, if these people are at high school games, they could still catch UCLA play um, through the streaming services on ESPN, ESPN plus ideally. But that could, that could look bad. 
in terms of what people there at the at the games no attendance and everybody's watching yeah, sure. that's what i'm saying so but it, in a way it doesn't matter because i mean it matters but because like all it takes like for troy aikman i don't know if troy aikman's watching the the game he might be on the road or preparing for his nfl game the next day well he's doing monday nights now but um the fact that they yeah. they it's just um the screenshots and social media and stuff like even if it's on the Pac-12 network, people are going to share it, make fun of it and do the whole thing anyway. So it's going to be out there. People are going to see it regardless. Um, but we'll see. I think that I think that'll be it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens on, with a Friday turnout. Right. And um, again, maybe a win over Colorado is not necessarily necessarily going to bring people in the next week. But if you can uh, beat a team like Washington then I think you'll be in good shape for um, some people coming in for that Utah game, which I think will really be like your measuring stick of, of, of what, because that's about as big of a game. Oh, outside yeah, I'm of the saying USA. already now, I think that, that's going to be the biggest attendance. And I think, and the Utah is going to travel. Utah travels pretty well, I believe. Um, they do. So, so they'll be there. They'll be there for sure. Um, anything else on, on some of that or just looking at the schedule or just knowing what's ahead with at the moment four ranked, teams on the schedule for ucla i mean let's just focus on colorado this week get this dove let's do it in a dominant fashion mm-hmm. i think that'd be a big thing if we can dominate for four quarters you know like those first two games you could say those are dominant games but you mm-hmm. know it wasn't much of a fight back but let's see a dominant four quarters versus a pac-12 opponent just to put the the rest of the conference on watch as far mm-hmm. as and fans of yeah, South Alabama was actually a good team, but we're 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 better, right? Oh, I uh, I talk about Nick Armier, but I don't even know if I mentioned he was named um, the Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week for his field goal and just again his efforts, as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. And then he was also uh, I don't know if they vote on this, but he was at least named one of three stars of the week uh, for the weekly award in regards to the Lou uh, Groza um, award. Um, which has to do with uh, kickers and punters, I believe. So some uh, good recognition there for him. Um, again, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of just see where everything goes. Um, should just be interesting. It's Pac-12 play now. I think some things I'm going out to practice. I'm curious to see uh, how Charbonnet does, what he's going to look like. Um, I'll have to keep an eye out on, on maybe what they do in terms of replacing Martin. Or maybe who goes, um, who's going to be there for, who's going to fill in in that void. Um, I think later today, they'll drop the depth chart. So by the time this podcast is out, um, I'll have in the description what the depth chart is for this week. So maybe they have an answer already for um, for Martin and who's going to be filling that void. We also didn't see Kane Madrano play again this week, I believe, uh, or this past week. So not sure what the deal is with him. Again, Chip doesn't always give a whole lot of information in terms of injuries. But again, um, I think if it if it's serious, like again, as we're learning, and I kind of knew this because I remember it happened prior. But when you have an injury like Martin and he's like he's out for the season, like he will save that information. Um, but I I think that just goes into some of the, you know, the not wanting to give too much away or tipping your hand to an opponent, maybe on who's in and who's out. But if Martin's out for the season, you you just say he's out for the season. Um so we'll see. We'll see how the guys do. Um, everything should be fairly normal. Um, again, just 
uh, curious, what are some things maybe you're you are looking for answers for this week, Josh? What do you want me to keep an eye out for when I'm out at practice? Things to look out for again, mm-hmm. yeah, the health of Charbonnet. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's one of the biggest things. I feel like is if if Utah is going to be successful in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. he has to be healthy. And then, like I said, unfortunately, somebody on defense has to step up for a player like Martin Andrews. Um, so who fills that role? And then maybe just things that the defense seem to be keen on, you know, like I said, third, uh, that third down conversion rate for South Alabama was a little too high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's tackling the emphasis is tighter coverage. The emphasis is pass for us. The emphasis. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'll get you out on this question. Um, this is just something I've always been curious about, but sometimes it's, <laughs> Sometimes I forget Bo Calvert's out on the field and I'm not knocking Bo Calvert, but I just feel like, is he, is he not necessarily like a guy who's going to jump out on the box score on the box, like in the box score, but like, can you tell me about Bo Calvert? Just like, I'm just curious, like, what is it about? Cause I know it's like, sometimes I'm like, did he even start? Did he even play? But he's out there and he's involved. It's just, it just doesn't always show up on the stat sheet. What is it like about him that makes him just kind of makes him, you know, a good asset to the defense, regardless of what the stat sheet says. I mean, he's been a guy that's been under the program this whole time and is, um, has a role of being able to do a little bit of everything. He's a plug-and-play guy. I mean, if something happened, he could be inside backer. He could be outside backer. He could be a DN. Um, he's athletic and has the size and strength to be on an edge. And, and I mean, a lot of defenses, even when I was in a position that he was in, it mm-hmm. is a lot of things that might be in stats, but you might be setting up um, a tackle for an inside linebacker you might be taking on that block to to prevent the running back from bouncing. So he has to cut right back into another linebacker or um, certain things like that, where he not, he might not be, you know, a complete um, pass rushing edge. So that might, I mean, you know, so that's why you might not see him on those third downs where you might have the twins in, but mm-hmm. if it's first down, you know, it's run, you know, Bo might be in there to set that edge to, spill the pullers and certain things like that where there is no stat for it but as a defensive coordinator as an inside linebacker like you love having those type of guys mm-hmm. on your team that are going to sacrifice for the greater good of the defense so Bo's going to keep showing up and doing things um it might not be on the stat sheet but I guarantee um his grade out by the coaches is is probably high every week no doubt about it and so with that good stuff as always Josh We appreciate your guys' support. And again, make sure if you're not already, you just happen to stumble across the link on social media or something, um, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends, your teammates, your loved ones, um, any UCLA fans that you know. Again, thank you guys for the interaction on social media. Uh, A lot of mixed reviews just in terms of the reacting to the game. Obviously, some people wanted a 35-point blowout, and that wasn't necessarily the case. It was a one-score game, a one-point uh victory that made the difference one point made the difference for ucla over south alabama but chip kelly and the guys are moving on to um colorado and it'll be the first road game for them so we'll see how they do on the road um and how the guys can bond and work on their chemistry and just everything with that and and i think road games will kind of help with some of that situation so um again make sure you follow um at believe ucla on twitter that's the show twitter page um, we'll have links and different things there. And it's just an easy place for you to find the podcast. Click on that link in the bio and it'll have um, all the other different links listed there for your favorite audio 
uh, podcast platform and whatnot. So with that being said, again, thank you so much, Josh. And we will catch you guys in the next one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.